Hey, Doclos. You just hit play on the Documenteers podcast, the podcast about documentaries where each week myself and a fellow documentary fan discuss a different documentary. And it's analytical and sometimes smart, often irreverent. There's an edge to it, but not overtly edge lordy, I'd say. Well, that may have changed since our 100th episode. Hope you enjoyed that. By the way, as of this writing, it hasn't even been edited yet, but I assume we all had a grand old time. It's with a heavy heart that we must leave behind our second annual Herzog Month. This will drop on the final day of September, but we got one more for you before we move on to Creep-tober. Angela picked a deep cut one for sure, so deep we don't even have a proper English translation of it. We're really not sure what analysis is spot on, and which is just ourselves projecting but we are going to talk about the state of disabled children in Germany in 1971, several of which who were deformed through thalidomide usage while they were in the womb. Werner made this for German television at the request of a friend, and it is called Handicapped Future. You can find it on YouTube in German, and you will hear our discussion shortly. Next week on this podcast, our Creeptober October will have begun. And I confess, I don't know what next Monday's drop will be as of this writing. I have a list, but I don't know what the order will be yet. But I will tell you that this Friday, we will open up Creeptober with a full-length episode. Drew and I hit up another 30 for 30 ESPN film by discussing an aspect of sports that can be quite frightening. The group think of masses of disgruntled sports fans. Baseball fans, and especially Cubs fans, might remember the name Steve Bartman. During a playoff run for the Cubs, Steve did what plenty of people would have done and reached for a foul ball that was probably catchable, thus resulting in the Cubs being unable to close out an inning. You know how the rest goes. Cubs lose. Usually the fans are happy to accept the Cubs being at fault for their many losses. That or a goat from 100 years ago, but this time Steve Bartman held the disgruntled weight of a city on his shoulders. And looking back now, there really should be a lot of shame passed around. I am, of course, talking about the Alex Gibney film, Catching Hell. The word hell is in the title. A perfect opening pitch for Creeptober. This Friday, right here on the same podcast channel that you're listening to. Don't miss it. Musical snippets on this one include brief clips from the band The Scorpions, yeah, yeah, German language film, so why not try out the most obvious German rock band next to Rammstein? And yeah, you do briefly hear a little bit of Rocky Like a Hurricane, but you also hear a bit of the songs Dark Lady and In Trance from their 1975 album In Trance. And no shit, it's a good record. I like that record. Good classic metal if you're into that. Documentariespodcast.com for contact information. I like hearing from you. Don't be afraid to reach out. Five stars in a review on Pod Players helps us out. Spotify, Stitcher is big for us. And of course, Apple Podcasts. I don't use the Apple Podcast player for my podcasts, admittedly, but I have given reviews to podcasts I enjoy on Apple Podcasts because that is a great way to support your favorite podcasts. And I hope we're on that list for you. Now, on to this film. Our last Herzog joint of the year. Maybe roll up a Herzog hog leg. Also, the the Americans with Disabilities Act was not signed until 1990. That doesn't seem far back enough. Here we go. Handicap future. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel.
In der Bundesrepublik leben insgesamt viereinhalb Millionen Menschen, die körperbehindert sind. Davon sind 470.000 Kinder im schulpflichtigen Alter. Nach statistischen Umfragen möchte die Mehrzahl der Bundesbürger nicht mit ihnen leben. Wie leben sie überhaupt? Und wo leben sie? Und was wissen wir über sie? Welche Chancen gibt ihnen die Gesellschaft? Oder sind wir durch unser Verhalten nicht gar eine zusätzliche Behinderung für sie? Thank you, Bobby. To the show that you're on a lot. That's in my house. That's, yeah, the show we record in your home. Our home. The Documenteers. The greatest documentary podcast in the world. We're winding down universe and multiple dimensions. Oh, of course. We're winding down Herzog Month. And what a great second annual Herzog Month it's been. It's like my favorite month of the year. It's like a, it is like a month long holiday. For our show, for sure. We have other themed months, but yeah. this is the one that we look forward to the most, truly. Yes. And next month, we'll be talking about Creeptober. It's our Creeptober October, so it'll be like creepy shit. And I'm still kind of putting it together as of this recording, uh-huh. and I'm kind of wondering how hard I should go. I kind of want to go a little hard, but some guests can handle it more than others. Well, it's hard to say how hard I should go here. It could be interesting to make some people uncomfortable. Yeah. And I really want to find a paranormal documentary, whether it be about UFOs or cryptids. That's good. Yeah. Because that is so hard to find. There's something tainted about those. I desperately want to see one of those very well executed, but they always seem to be bogged down with the... um expectations of filmmakers or the biases of the filmmakers yeah there's something about those that i i feel like despite the fact that there's so goddamn much of that out there that a great one has truly yet to surface to really break the mold i feel like i would have at least heard about it if something was like um amazing yeah and but sometimes people are like oh man you got to watch this one and then i'll watch it it's like yeah (laughs) <laughs> and the thing is, I want, I like Bigfoot, like the thought of that stuff and the Mothman and shit, but, but we're not talking about that in this episode. No, <laughs> pretty far from it. This is the, we're putting a period on this here's Herzog month. We're going with a deep cut, a cut so deep that we're not sure if we're interpreting this correctly. <laughs> well, when you asked me which Herzog we should do, I went deep because it's going to be a matter of time before we run out. Right. You know, we're going to have a couple years of documentaries people have heard of, like Grizzly Man. But this is one I had never heard of because it's from 1971. And it was shot for German television. Yeah. And there's no English subtitle version that we can find on the internet. Now, uh, Woodcarver Steiner, which we, Drew and I discussed last year, it that was also shot for German television, but... Mm-hmm. It had a nice English translation to it. What we had to do with what we're about to talk about today is that the German version is on YouTube. You can watch it. And if you speak German, I'm jealous of you. Yeah. So we turned the subtitles on. Initially, the subtitles are in German. 
but you can set it up in the settings to do a German to English translation. And I can honestly say that that barely helped us at all. Yeah. So if you do want to watch this, check it out on YouTube, do the English or German to English translation. But honestly, oh. if you turned on no closed captioning, you didn't speak German and you just let them talk, you might have got about as much out of it as we did. Maybe, because we truly kept pausing and saying, here's what I think is happening right now. I mean, you got phrases. Yeah. There were definite moments. The issue is, we haven't said the name of the documentary yet. But no, we have not said the name of what we're discussing yet. And what is the name of what we're discussing? The English translation name is Handicapped Future. Let me say the German name. <laughs> Again, as Bobby said, this was in German. We were using YouTube Translator. It wasn't very effective. <laughs> if there's anything that we say that is not true to what this documentary film is trying to get across or what they're actually saying, we're destined to be wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's all, everything we say is wrong. Us trying to understand what's happening on this documentary. Because honestly, if anyone out there has an English translation, if you're German and you want to like, or if you speak German and you want to like send us a synopsis of this, I would love that because I would love to watch this and truly know what everything these people are saying. Because part of it was sometimes, you know, Herzog speaks in this documentary. Like, he'll ask a question. A lot of times when he's talking, it can understand him quite a bit better. But he's talking to a lot of children. Yeah. And sometimes when the children were speaking, it would just show at the bottom, it would say, music. <laughs> it just couldn't understand what their little voices were saying. And so then it couldn't interpret. I think Bobby wrote down some of the more interesting interpretations that YouTube <laughs> came up with. Such hot, hot translated phrases as, have you often handicapped people? Oh, no. I want to put out into the world, there's actually a, a lot of um, stuff that Werner made, I think in the late 60s and 70s, for German television. I know DVDs are kind of going out, you know, things on discs as far as film goes is going out. I still got a few things if there's something I like a lot, I'll, I'm still willing to buy a DVD of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, there's some rare shit we've talked about on this show. So rare, I can I can hardly wonder if it really connects with any listeners out there. <laughs> but a collection of stuff that Werner did for German television with some properly translated English subtitles. we pay some good money for that. We'd pay for that. Yeah. We'd, we'd pay for it like through a streaming service or we'd buy it on DVD. I mean, there's got to be enough respect for Werner Herzog to merit putting that out there. You can find most of this stuff on YouTube, but it is German. Yeah. And it, and you'd be in the same position that we're in here where we're trying to do uh, a, a very um, inaccurate YouTube algorithm translation. I will say I didn't realize that there wasn't a translation when I picked this documentary. But when we figured out, I think just a few days ago, that there wasn't, we weren't giving up. No. We we're, weren't fucking giving up. Maybe we could turn this into something. <laughs> <laughs> we still wanted to watch it. I just really, the image on the cover when you look it up, if you just look up the documentary, is this adorable little girl. I just wanted to watch this documentary. I wanted to know. If you look it up, kind of the first thing you see is that 
This was made for German television, but it was because a friend of Werner Herzog said, hey, will you make a documentary film about disabled people who are just living their lives and is not sort of talking down to them or pitying them, like is truly just looking at how it is for them to live. Yeah. And he was like, of course I will. Yeah. Werner in interviews has called this film uh, dangerously conventional on his part, Mm. which is interesting uh, because we do get some camera, the camera work we see in this is Werner unafraid to kind of stick cameras in people's faces, Mm -hmm. even though we kind of, Feel like we're only understanding every other sentence there is that camera vibe we do feel like it's Werner, but this is also a young Werner, mm-hmm. you know a one that's really getting into his craft about to really go full throttle into feature filmmaking and it's kind of normal if you're an artistic type to criticize the things you did a long time ago uh that's not unusual but i still think this is very well executed for what it was absolutely now, this the young girl that we see, we see her tumbling around on a mat. Uh, and this girl has a condition, uh, uh, what has been known as uh, flipper babies, otherwise known as um, as what they call that, probably not a nice term. I don't think that's maybe okay to say anymore, but that is how they've been referred to in the past. Uh, like a thalidomide baby. It's a condition that babies can be born with when their mother has takes thalidomide while pregnant. So thalidomide came out in like the 50s and it was basically sort of like aspirin. Like it it just made you not feel things and Mm. people dug that. It was like a sedative. Yeah, bro. And it was at the time literally selling at the rate that like aspirin was. Doctors figured out that it really helped women with morning sickness and then started suggesting that their pregnant patients take thalidomide for morning sickness. Obviously, it didn't happen to every single baby or they might have caught on a little bit quicker before it became such a big thing, but it did cause quite a lot of children to have a birth defect where the rest of their body could develop normally, but their arms just don't develop fully. There's different levels of development that can happen but they just they don't have fully developed arms yeah and and that condition can result in a few ways like hands without arms or sometimes just like nubs Mm -hmm. or sometimes you'll have appendages but they're not fully developed hands but the most common variation of that is like you don't have arms there are cases in the united states but this was common throughout europe yeah to administer this so there's like a there's a generation of europeans where this condition is pretty common. We get a statistic here, and we don't only meet children with uh, the thalidomide condition, uh, but it's, we see a, a statistic, West Germany, specifically 4.5 million disabled, 470,000 are children. West Germany, of course, because the Berlin Wall was up during this time. It was such a thing that there's actually a joke in like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is if you don't know, a movie and a musical that's pretty amazing by John Cameron Mitchell. And there's a joke in it about how when they lived on the other side of the wall, his mother got a job teaching pottery to children without limbs. Yeah. So it was common and culturally it was common enough. So you had a lot of kids struck with this thalidomide condition on top of people, you know, the last remnants of polio and other Mm -hmm. fairly common physical disabilities so he's kind of 
focused in on a couple different kids at the beginning. The little girl who is rolling around on the mat, she was actually getting herself dressed. And it was like her way. That's what it seemed to me. Like she was like putting on a shirt, I think, at one point. And then he's interviews a little girl in a wheelchair who later we think we found out, we think her name is Jana. Yeah. Dagmar, wie alt bist du denn? Six. Und du bist schon in der Schule. In der Vorschule. And we can't really understand everything that she's saying to him, but it's this conversation where Werner's obviously talking not down to her. He's just asking her questions, which I love that. I hate it when people talk down to children as though they're not as smart as right. they are. He's just straight Werner like, hey, what do you do every day? And what do you dream about? She talks about how she dreams about walking. Yeah, going up the stairs, walking around. It trans. It seems to translate Werner's questions pretty well, but yeah. the kids, it, it kind of gets lost. Yeah, I think it may be the pitch, and a few of them are a little mumbly, but again, that's why I wish we could get a transcript for this or a, a true translation, but it's just very interesting because he says to her, what do you do during the day? And it was kind of hard to understand, but I believe she basically says, well, I just have to, I just have to do what I have to do during the day, but at night I can dream. You know, it's important to know that this is a little less than 30 years after the end of World War II. Yeah. You got to keep in mind, not only it's well documented how the, the Nazi controlled government uh, destroyed society, minority societies within itself. Keep in mind that Germany was fucking devastated yeah. uh, in terms of you got Russia on one side and the uh, United States and England coming in on the other side and they fucking bombed the jack living shit out of the whole fucking country. Right. So you got a society that's rebuilding from crimes it's done to itself mm -hmm. and society uh, rebuilding from half of a planet, like dropping bombs on it. Mm -hmm. So it's very, I mean, and considering that it's actually kind of impressive how quickly Germany managed to get to where it was. Yeah. Before, they start showing us like where these kids live. They actually, he interviews some kids who don't have disabilities. Yeah. And are basically saying, it, it, the gist is, do you know anyone who, who is disabled? And a couple of them are like, yeah, I do. He asks them, how's your interaction with them? What's different about them? What's different about you? A couple of them say, you know, we still play, but it's different when we play with him. And then there's a the little girl, I thought. You thought it was a little boy, I yeah. think. It was a very blonde child with a coat on. So who knows? She basically said that the difference between her and the person she knew who was disabled was that it was easier for her to put her clothes on. Hmm. That was a very interesting, if that's what she was saying. I thought that was a very interesting thing for a child to hone in on, noticing that Something that small. It's not like, oh, she can't walk up the stairs. It's probably hard for her to put on her shirt. Yeah, it's hard to say what these kids exactly said. <laughs> I think maybe, I think one kid was talking about this hot new band called The Scorpions. No! <laughs> Which will take Germany and then the world by storm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, it, we're, <laughs> we go to a com community building that is there to help physically disabled outside of their homes to train them and do stuff like that. You pointed out that they seem that the facilities are 
we don't know if it's in the school in with a regular school if it's a facility all on its own it kind of looks like it's all on its own. it seemed all on its own there was a part where they kind of named off what i believe is at the facility which was so places for them to i think they could stay there if they needed to i don't know that they stayed they might have some of them stayed with their families but i think you could stay there there was a school a medical facility and a gym and it also said a workplace maybe it's like training for the older kids like once they're a little bit older maybe it's more like work skill training sure also yeah. that would totally make sense um but it seemed to be that it was sort of a handicapped community center you know like you can do everything here that you need to do and also you're surrounded there by kids who may not have the same disability that you do but other kids who have disabilities and there's a classroom where they were all in together that was really cool there was also the gym they showed there's a specific class that had people with the thalidomide or children with the thalidomide condition uh, doing balance games and climbing ladders and learning how to adjust their balance and their equilibrium. It seems like, of course, if we suddenly didn't have arms, we'd probably be like stumbling all over the place. Absolutely. But these kids, this is their life. And they actually seem incredibly capable. Absolutely. Uh, with something that we would, uh, lacking something that we take for granted quite a bit. And this is when Werner's really up in the face. And I love the facial reactions to the kids. They seem very subtle, very reserved. Maybe that's just the German nature of the children. But how, like, they you could tell that there's a curiosity about it, but they're not, like, going, like, really hard at the camera or anything. Mm-hmm. In a way, these they, they have this subtle curiosity, but they're still willing to just kind of, like, be themselves and go about their day while Werner is pointing the camera at them. Absolutely. This is where we see Jana again and a little boy who we think actually might be her brother. We're not sure if it's brother or boyfriend. We don't know how old Jana is. She could be like a teenager too. This is true. Sometimes it is very hard to tell. There is a scene later where she's sitting in the lap of a woman who I believe to be her mother and the boy is there as well. And I believe that she said something about having two children. Now, that doesn't mean she's either of their actual parents. She just may be their caregiver. And she doesn't have thalidomide. She appears to, we're not sure what the condition is exactly. It would appear some type of, maybe a type of a dwarfism that kind of renders her uh, making walking difficult. It kind of appears that way to me, but I don't. She seems very small. Yes. Um, and frail. So there does you you would imagine that there's some sort of growth disorder as well, and tied into whatever it is that she actually has. Again, it's I wish we knew more information about what's actually <laughs> happening. But there's a very sweet scene with the two of them where they're sitting in front of a globe talking about America. And he seems to be asking her, like, do you ever want to go there? And he's saying he's gonna go there. And it's hard to tell, but they're kind of flipping the, the globe around talking about traveling. At one point, he seemed to reach over and hold her hand. Yeah. Which was just very, it was just very sweet the way they were with each other. And that happens again when you see them later. They kind of are very attentive towards each yeah. other. Yeah. And Jana wants to go to America to meet Richard Nixon. <laughs> she thinks he seems like a really nice guy. They go to a classroom where they say something to the effect of, you know, these kids can't get out in nature. Some of them can't really leave the community center very easily, especially not alone. And so they have sort of a special class where this teacher is showing them things like a pine cone and a horseshoe and different types of money. Yeah. And it's basically just 
aside from, you know, math and science and English, like here's some life stuff. Like let's talk about how this pine cone becomes a tree. I mean, that's science, but you know, it's more like here's stuff you might not encounter. Also wrote down bird and feather corpses. Uh, Jana mentioned something about that. I'm not sure contextually what that's all about. <laughs> I think that was a mis misinterpretation, but you know, a little lost in translation here and there. But they do reference that kids train for swimming and skiing. Yeah, that they do try to take the kids on trips to see mountains and lakes. They also at one point talk about going to the grocery store, just doing normal things, like taking the kids to the grocery store. There is a lady at one point who's talking to the camera and there's two small children next to her on like what seems to be like a day bed and the kids uh, don't have arms. And so they're using their feet and they're both sort of petting and playing with a doll. Yeah. And the little girl's almost like brushing the doll's hair with her toes. Uh And she has interesting, we see this little girl a couple times, like because she uses her feet as her hands, she has these leggings that she wears that basically cover her entire leg and her entire foot except her toes, which allows her to then still have that dexterity. So I imagine she probably never wears shoes because that would feel very constricting to someone who uses their feet as their main source of tactile exploration of the world. Werner asks how they get treated on the outside world. We ought, we don't get the full interpretation, but it seems like one of the teachers or the mothers, I forget who we're talking to, points out that some of the bigger reactions seem to come from older folks. Mm-hmm. Older folks who maybe were, oh, I don't know, Nazis? <laughs> She says something about the 40s, and so I don't know if she's sort of talking about people who might have been alive in the 40s and have these views, or if she's saying that people over 40 mm-hmm. maybe look at them in a particular way. Most kids don't have this thalidomide condition, but it seems to be common enough that the younger generations, it's not as unusual to them. Yeah, you know it happens. But considering this medication was developed somewhere around the end of World War II. Keep in mind, when the Nazis encountered disabilities and shit, that would often result in them killing that person. So you can imagine the reactions of the older folk who were around during that time. And I would imagine they can't help but think that this person wouldn't be around. Yeah. That this child wouldn't be allowed to live just 30 years ago. Yeah. Which is incredibly fucked up especially when you see examples of these kids showing amazing levels of adaptability and creativity we don't always know what they're saying but we see what they're doing and it's very impressive well yeah because that leads right into them drawing and painting probably my favorite part of this it mine too and there are a bunch of kids varying levels of disability painting and drawing and we see that little girl again and she's drawing a self-portrait And my understanding of what the teacher was saying was to the little girl, they were talking about her picture and she had drawn herself with no arms and her legs and her toes were very specific in this photo. Like she drew every toe. And the teacher was basically commenting on the fact that a year ago, the little girl might've drawn herself with arms, but now she's a little bit older and she's learned what she can do with her body and she's accepting herself a little bit more. That was what I sort of took from like a couple minutes of dialogue. Because that's what they're trying to teach these kids is you are how you are and that is fine. 
there's nothing wrong with that. Now let's work with what you have so you can live the best life. I love kids' drawings. And these kids, they're, a lot of these kids are drawing shit. Not every kid has the thalidomide condition. Some can use arms. They're just maybe in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But you see these kids with the thalidomide condition, and they're drawing with their feet. Mm-hmm. And they're drawing as good as any child drawing you can see. Absolutely. And it's so impressive and an intense display of colors and like emotional representation on the page. I think this is something that Europeans do a little better than uh, here in America. Here in America, we utilize art as, I mean, we kind of funnel it through our like capitalistic mindset Mm -hmm. where we, uh, instead of trying to build up, you know, art and writing mentalities at a very young age, it ends up being the thing that politicians try to cut out immediately uh, when they're trying to save money and an already defunded public school system here in our country. But in in Europe, it seems like they seem to see more importance in developing these artistic sides at a young age. And then when kids grow up, they have a better understanding of whether or not they want to pursue these kind of things further because they've already kind of developed this kind of mindset. I think, though, sometimes a misconception about the importance of art in young children is that they think it's just going to do exactly what you said. Like if they have art, then they'll think they can be artists and they're all going to want to be artists and not really like work, you know, but psychologically, whether you become an artist or a banker or a doctor, if you've had music art exposure to music and art and even theater, it teaches you to express yourself in ways that if you're not given those tools, Because I think we think about it the wrong way. We think like, oh, they don't need to learn this art stuff because they don't all need to be artists. Like, who cares? But there's a really strong importance to young people being exposed to art because it's all about emotion. And it's about expression and communication. And those are things that we are terrible at. Like, as a society, I think maybe it's just turning it from, it's not that if you're good at this, you should do it for your life. It's like, we should all understand the thought behind it. You know, people used to be able to create something in spite of something. And now I feel like there's just too many people that are kind of carrying that forward that are, that have just been really propped up. And it's not even to say that these people that come from privileged backgrounds who become artists aren't talented and aren't making amazing things. It's just that it's only, it just seems like it's, when you see people being able to expand or develop these certain things, it is representative of a class structure at this point in our society. Absolutely. And and I can't begin to express how fucking disappointing that is. Despite me liking art and respecting art, how it makes me kind of embittered towards the systematic structures of art. How brave and amazing we are. Then we go to the playground and the slide and they're just kids and i think that's why he showed so much of this because i don't know what they were talking about they were talking who knows but what you see okay before we get to the playground we don't know what they were saying exactly but there was a drawing of a snake Uh, a child drew a drawing of a snake behind bars there was like several of the drawings showed jail and prison themes a snake of course does not have arms yeah limbs that snake seemed to show a representation of a condition that they're having to deal with. That was very fascinating. And also it struck me as being very mature 
to have these children at their age being able to kind of utilize those kind of visual metaphors in that way and like to utilizing the snake too. Uh, a snake is something that, especially if you're particularly religious in our country, could be seen as something that's evil or representative sure. of that. But to, to think that this child sees a snake without limbs and relates to it mm -hmm. and maybe can relate into the way people often react when they see snakes, you know, that's pretty intense when you really think about it. Yeah. The playground was very joyful. They were just kids running around up and down the play, up and down the slide. They didn't really show the rest of the playground, but it was just he left the slide in the shot while he was talking and they were talking. I don't know what they were saying. Das Problem der Isolation ist auf dem Spielplatz nicht so stark spürbar. Die Frage aber bleibt, ob der Bau der Gemeinschaftsanlage die Isolation überhaupt aufzuheben vermag. Just kids one after the other sliding down the slide, having a great time. I noticed, you know, when you slide down a slide, if you have arms and hands, you might kind of like hold along the outside of the slide as you slide down. There was one little boy who put his, wrapped his toes around the edge of the slide while he slid down. Yeah. And it struck me as such like a thing that sort of like looks awkward for a second, but then you realize that's like the most natural thing for him to do because his feet are his hands. I wrote down probably a mistranslated quote, ever pick up company hurricane. <laughs> the, the, the German band, the Scorpions would later in the 80s have that hit uh, rock you like a hurricane. Oh. Does this connect? I don't know. <laughs> we meet a boy. His name is Kurt and his mother. We're not sure what she's saying, but she's talking about bills and stress and annoyances and expenses. His name was Kurt? Yeah. He's the only one. I was thinking earlier when you were talking. He's the only one who does like make eyes at the camera. Like yes. he's a little charmer. Like he looks over and his mom is just like talking about being stressed out about bills and things. And he's like smiling at the camera. This kind of reminded me of my childhood. My grandmother <laughs> going on and on about something while I sit there in whatever situation. <laughs> I kind of saw myself and Kurt, my childhood self and Kurt for a second. She talks for a long time. She seems to talk about Bill. She seems to talk about when she had him. We're assuming that she's his mother. That was the vibe I got. But there is one point where Werner basically says, well, would you want to go home? And he, the only thing I think he says that whole time is he says no. So that made me think that he is possibly staying there and she has come to visit him. And that's when this interview is happening. Hmm. That could be wrong, but that's the way I interpreted it because then we also go to who i believe to be Jana and her mother and either her brother or boyfriend yeah not sure i want to say boyfriend because i think she may not be the mom she may be a caregiver because she does talk about how she has these two children and then she says something about i love this that she gives them chores to do mm -hmm. she talks about how they have to do certain things and you can't not give them anything to do it's a disservice to yeah. these kids. And I think, again, that's a progressive way of looking at it. You know, like it's a disservice to these children to not have expectations of them. We also meet teens with disability. Kids are a little older. And uh, I wrote down in my notes, cabinets behave accordingly. <laughs> that was one of the, the YouTube translations we got. Uh, right. Cabinets behave accordingly. And they're talking, I know at some point that they reference... The, the companies and the facilities and the industries that created the thalidomide drug. Yes. That we're not sure exactly what they say. I'm sure they're like, fuck them. 
fuck them forever. Mm-hmm. They should be put in jail. I assume that's the kind of things they say. I mean, that's how we feel. But the thalidomide condition was something uh, that happened because of lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. Chemists who create this medicine and doctors who prescribed it out. So that is one condition that there could be, I'm not sure how it all pans out, but that there could be some level of reparations for. If there has been, we should look that up after. Wasn't this medicine created by like Nazi doctors? I don't know that. I I just know that when it hit the market, like I said, it was basically a sedative and then used for morning sickness in pregnant women. They stopped using it a long time ago. Yeah. I did read that they did do trials in it, but basically all they said was that they felt it was safe for humans because they had never done a trial in which it had killed a rat. As if death is the one thing you got to worry about. Yeah. I thought that just struck me as odd when I was reading about it. Now we meet an older man. He's a professor. His name is Adolf Rotska. I noticed that the translation called him Adolf Rats sometimes. They did. The first time they did. But it got it right the first time. It was weird. But he has polio. Polio is pretty much on the way out. There's definitely generations that are lingering it. I actually have heard because of like anti-vaxxer shit. It's back. That is starting to come back. It's fucking, it's the way people like twist science to their own benefit. And science involves lifetimes of work. Mm-hmm. Like people who understand science and people who are in the fields of sciences that develop things that are supposed to make our lives better, they spend lifetimes learning this shit. Mm-hmm. L- like people who win uh, Nobel Prizes for science, th- these are people in their 60s. It, mm-hmm. They've taken years and years and years to develop the knowledge that helps our society. Right. And we don't credit the work. We take our bullshit, our biased bullshit, and we just sit on our asses and think, no, that's not how that works. While people have devoted a lifetime to understanding shit, it, it, it works because, look. <laughs> listener, our listeners get it. They do. Our listeners get it. They do. Uh, Adolf Ratzka, he's got <laughs> polio, and he's a, he's a, I believe he's a professor. He's in California. Professor of social sciences. We see him accessing certain facilities. There's door issues. There's still very minimal ramp. He's getting assistance by a fellow student. Who well, speaks some English words. Well, yeah, he's in California. <laughs> We're like, yeah, we know what he's saying. But he like didn't say anything of consequence. <laughs> At night, Adolf has to wear an iron lung and he does photo business in photo phone <laughs> he, do, he does business on the phone while the student helps him put on his socks and there is a reference to i wish i understood exactly what they were saying because he was talking about architectural obstacles meaning how hard it is to get in and out of a lot of buildings yeah. i'm sure but he also uh references the notion of christian compassion and i think He's complaining about how that compassion is actually marginalizing people like him. Sure. How sometimes where people view their actions or what they're saying as charitable actions, it actually is marginalizing and patronizing. Kind of like patting themselves on the back. Mm. Well, they think they're doing something good for someone else, but they're actually kind of just sucking their own dick. Not sure exactly what Professor Rotsko was saying, but I think he was talking a little bit along these lines i hope (laughs) if anyone's out there is like um actually that's not what he said please let us know 
well, exactly what he said. We'd love to be corrected. Yes. On this episode, correct the shit out of us if Please. you don't mind. And we'll share your corrections. Adolf has this cool van. Oh and, my gosh. And it's got like, it lifts him up into it and he rolls directly up in it. It's, it almost looks like a big ice cream truck. The lift comes down in the back of the van. And it does look like an ice cream truck or a moving truck. He rolls onto the lift. He raises himself up and then he like turns around and how he rolled onto the platform at the back and then rolled up into the driver's seat space. But there was no seat. And they showed all his little levers. He like turned a knob for the brake, had to like pull a lever for the gas. Yeah. It was just really cool how it was completely customized to him. And I think he said that a technology class helped develop this for him. Some some class at the school. I don't know. That's cool. But he also had like a CB radio in case he got stuck or anything like that to where he could call for help. So smart. I mean, those are, again, things that we kind of take for granted now that we have cell phones. Like, what did people do? We see him going down the freeway and he's in Los Angeles and you can see the thick, dense smog that L.A. used to be so known for. But we also briefly go back to Germany. And I mm. we're not sure what the contrast is saying. Maybe California is on its way to developing um, more accessibility for people with physical disabilities in Germany. I mean, these facilities seem really effective from what we see mm -hmm. in giving these young people agency over their own lives without reliance, without too much reliance. So I guess it's just contrasting uh, where... Uh, both countries are going not too clear about that to yeah they showed the little girl from the very beginning again and what i think they might have been alluding to was that where will it be when she turns 20 yes where will we be then hmm. you made a good point when we were watching it that you know, we were seeing America in California, and California is probably much more ahead at that time of the rest of the country. Yeah. That tends to sometimes still be the case, that these more, like, dense, populated, big cities yeah. get stuff before you get in rural places. And it's quite possible that if they had done this in just some small town in the Midwest, it would have been about the same as it was in Germany, or sure. even not as good. Or maybe even worse, yeah. Yeah. And I think this... Uh, documentary was very straightforward and very, it wasn't like, Werner's pretty good at this. He's not bringing a pity party to the mm. thing. Coming out from this documentary, I had this feeling that these kids were going to be fine. Mm -hmm. That it, there that I, 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 there was no pity. These kids are going to go forward. I definitely uh, hope for a society that helps to make their life easier. It sounds like I'm reviewing this movie. Angela. We don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. Stars can, they burn already, but they can burn in hell. We rate it in Herzog's. It's Herzog month. We're rolling on out. Yep. You're going to give this one through five Herzog's. I'm going to give it one through five Herzog's. We're going to combine them for best out of 10 Herzog's. What did you think about this Werner Herzog made for German TV? Short. It's not short. Uh, it's like 45 minutes long. Yeah. Handicap Future. Handicap Future. I would really love to see it and understand all of the words. So again, if anybody has any way to get that to us, please let us know. Documentariespodcast.com. Shoot us an email. Also do wish, even while you were just talking a second ago, I wish that Werner would revisit this topic in today's society because I was just at a conference where 
one of the major topics the entire week was accessibility online. There's a whole other world of technology now that was not even a consideration back when he looked at this. I mean, obviously, you know, the guy had a van that he elicited the help of a class apparently to create for him, but that doesn't mean that was widely given to people. I do think now things like that are easier to come by. There are ramps places, there are elevators, there are ramps with also a sensory component so that someone who is visually impaired and is using a cane can tell when they're finding the ramp and that it's okay to go down the ramp. Like there are all these things that happen and you see all the time that people who don't have these disabilities do take for granted, but there is this whole other world now of online accessibility and thinking about that. And I kind of wish he would revisit this topic now. I love Werner Herzog and it's really hard for me to think about giving a documentary that he makes less than five Herzogs because he's Herzog. We've talked about this before. They can't all be as good as like the best. <laughs> it's fun. I obviously didn't completely understand it, but I feel like I got the essence of it. Sure. I'm going to say four and a half. Okay. That's pretty high score. It is a pretty high score. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Okay. Like a like a, a, a above a slightly above average for me. I felt like you did get the emotional you got the vibe that it was a Herzog joint. Yeah. Vernon Herzog should call all of his movies a Herzog joint. Yeah. But I felt like there was uh he that he did take a very intelligent approach to it. It's even though we barely understood what they were talking about, I do respect the intelligence and the execution of this. And I think it's uh For me, a slightly above average score, like a 3.5, I think that's worthy. So you take your 4.5, combine it with my 3.5, that's 8 out of 10 Herzogs. That's higher than I thought it would go for handicapped future. I think you just thought these kids were adorable. I mean, they were adorable, and here's the thing. I can't fault it. Yeah. Because I can't understand it. (laughs) I can't give it a perfect score. So we're erring on the side of positivity. I'm erring on the side of positivity, knowing who Herzog is and how he approaches things and from what I feel like I did understand and from the way that it was shot. And like I said, I would watch it. I'd watch it reading a transcript along with it again. I'd watch it with an English. I want to see this again. Like I want to better understand it, but yeah, I don't know. It's a nice, it's a nice little film that we barely understood. <laughs> And uh, so that's that. The Angela, I can't remember if we got one more shorty after this. What's the last day of the month? Uh, hold on. There's a calendar on the wall. Oh right. Uh, yeah, this is this is going to come out the last day of September. So this really is laying our second annual Herzog month to bed, and we're going to get into some creepy creeptober shit. I think Johnny will actually be doing his first block of shorties. For Creeptober October. So get on the lookout for that shit. And uh, I hope the listeners had a happy Herzog month. We do many more Herzog months to go. Even if we don't do documentaries at some point, maybe we should have a Herzog block. Yeah. <laughs> drop, drop once again. <laughs> Angela, my wife, a happy Herzog month to you. Happy Herzog month to you. Uh, happy Herzog month to Herzog. And, and thank you, Werner Herzog, for existing. We love you, Werner we, Herzog. We enjoy going through your movies. I'm gradually going through all your feature films, too. It's quite a trip. It's quite a trip. 
But, uh, and that's that for this second annual Herzog Month. Keep on docking. Can I, I need to go to the bathroom. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you can say things while I'm gone. Say things about how this is a recurring theme of starting to record a documentary podcast and then Bobby has to leave to go take a shit. Träumst du denn viel? Oh, I think you're Well, I'm in a train.